Welcome to the Marvel Cinematic University Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Canton III, and we're taking a little bit of a pit stop before we get back to Season 2 of Loki. As sometimes we tend to talk about different things on this show where kind of skip past the Marvel. We've talked about wrestling in the past. Actually, around this time last year, we talked to Greg Cody of the Miami Herald about his comic book collection in his garage. And that was a fun episode. If you want to go back in the archives, that was a good one. But I am pleased to be joined by one half of the Dunker Spot. I'd say probably my favorite basketball podcast. These guys are doing some really great work. His name is Nikias Duncan, one of the bright minds in basketball media. Nikias, how you doing, man? This is long overdue. Long overdue, indeed. Happy to be here. Excited to be here. In the words of my illustrious co-host, Steve Jones Jr. But no, I'm happy to be here, man. Glad we could finally make this happen. Or more specifically, glad I could finally hold up my end of the bargain <laughs> to get <laughs> on here. Uh, so I appreciate your patience. Uh, ready to rock out with you, man. Yeah, man. And it's funny enough, uh, I told Steve that we were finally doing this today. And his response to me was that I finished the story uh, faster than, Co- <laughs> than Cody Rose did. So here we are. Here we That's are. A good shot. That's a good shot. It's it, 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 wonderful stuff, but um, I actually wanted to start start here. How did you and Steve get together? Because when I had Steve on with Cam to talk about wrestling, it just kind of stayed with the whole wrestling stuff. But mm-hmm. I, I I like to know how you guys kind of uh, formulated your part- partnership. Oh man, it started with me following him on Twitter. Like his clips would come across my timeline. I was like, huh, I'm still trying to learn the X's and O's and stuff like that. Let me follow him. Uh, never expected to follow back, but got one pretty quickly. It's like, huh, I'll take that. That's neat. And so it was just more so just basketball early on. Then I would DM him like, hey, so I'm watching this game. I saw this. Do you know what this play name would be? And just kind of peppering him with questions and stuff like that. And so that continued for like a year or so. Um, I want to say it had to have been 2019. I think that was the last summer league before the pandemic. Uh, finally met officially met him. It was a very quick high and by in the like in the concourse of Thomas and Mac. Uh, so that's when that's the first time we officially met. And then fast forward a year some change. Um, I joined basketballnews.com. That's my first full time NBA writing job at that point. And as that happened, uh, early conversation like, hey, we eventually like for you to have a podcast. And in my mind, it's like, ah, I don't really do the talking thing like that. But I mean, <laughs> sure, if it's gonna be some time down the line, whatever. And so I signed on with them in August. That was part of the whole deal. By like October, they're like, hey, have you thought about the name of your podcast? I was like, oh, this is a lot quicker than I anticipated this becoming a thing. But okay, let me get on the ball here. Um, naturally, I was not going to do a solo podcast because I barely wanted a podcast to begin with. Right. Um, <laughs> but no, I reached out to Steve. I was like, well, let's see. If, if I'm going to do this, I want to be able to talk to someone that watches as much basketball as I do. And honestly, uh, someone that is just smarter than me so I can also learn. And so I just sent the Hail Mary DM like, hey, man, starting up this podcast. I uh, would love for you to be my co-host. If not, you know, it's fine, whatever. Fully expecting a no. And his response to something along the lines of, sure, let's do it. And I just sat there <laughs> for like five minutes like, huh, this is com- becoming real very quickly. And also, he has to have so many more better things to do than to talk to me on a weekly basis and he said yes so let me just run with this before he changes his mind and here we are almost 250 episodes in and all kinds of 
personal and professional growth from there. The opportunity has been amazing. Building out the Dunker Spot community has been a whole lot of fun. But that's kind of how I started. Just followed them on Twitter and asked them for play names because why wouldn't I do that? No, I mean, it's funny how stuff like that goes. I, I mean, I think of how this show formed. Um, I wanted to do um, a podcast on Infinity War. And I was like, hey, uh, we were just random group chat or whatever. And then Jake Jake uh, said, he was like, oh, I want to do it too. And then we not only uh, got Jake, we got uh, another person, Jerome, at the time to, to mm-hmm. jump in. And sometimes it sometimes it just be fate, man. Sometimes it just just be fate and right right place at the right time. But I mean, I will say, like considering what I've seen, and as I mean, you know, I send you guys questions. I I am a weekly listener to your show. I think the level of uh, dedication and attention to detail that you guys do is as good as it gets, and it's just pleasing to have people like people like me doing a show that you do and that it, it means a lot and I'm, I'm sure it means a lot to a lot of people that listen to your show too so i just wanted to let you know give you your flowers man because it, it truly is it's a i look forward to it it's appointment listening you guys are like really on the ball all the time and it's just a pleasure to watch you guys kind of tinker through different things whether it's a certain matchup or whether it's a certain area of place where you're trying to navigate lineups and and things along those lines overall looks at teams even the teams that we may not always be interested in those types of things are are really incredible so off that while i'm giving you your flowers i have an an additional question to go along with that yeah so in terms of how you cover the league and how you've been doing that how do you feel like that's changed in the past couple of years because I feel like every time, uh, whether I'm on Twitter or the way that the league is presented to us, it's presented in a way that's very difficult, I would say, to digest as opposed to why I seek podcasts like yours that are about the game and about matchups and about how to tinker with lineups and different plays and just different philosophies on how to play the game. How do you feel like that has changed for you and how you've tried to evolve with the times? Got you. Uh, well, first and foremost, I appreciate all the flowers that were given. Like I, it's been fun being a part of this podcast growth. Naturally, I'm on it. But like just the messages that we get, especially like we're, you know, I'm currently in New York right now, uh, game four, the WNBA finals is tomorrow. And like the amount of messages and DMs that I've gotten like, hey, Thank y'all for your WNBA coverage. Like, I'm watching the league more now because of the way that y'all talk about it. Like, that makes me feel so good inside. So it's been cool to just watch people grow along with us. Um, But as far as my process goes, like, honestly, I attribute a lot of it to just becoming smarter. And that's a lot of – if you talk to Steve, (laughs) like, five, six days a week, if you're not picking up something, it's like, what are you doing? And so, like, in a vacuum – that's, I mean, I want to consume basketball in a deeper way. I want to understand if this team or this player is successful, why are they successful? If this team or this player isn't having success, why is that happening? Is this a larger trend around the league and kind of applying those principles across the league and kind of build it from there? And so, like, that's just kind of how I want to approach it, period. And as you kind of alluded to, like, in other areas of basketball media, you don't really get that. 
or you have to search to get that kind of granular analysis. I will say like, it's certainly out there. Like I think mm-hmm. we are in the best era of like basketball coverage period. Yes. But as far as just the general mainstream goes, you do have to look a little bit to find that. And so I'm glad we've been able to kind of carve out our own space within that. Um, but yeah, like as I've watched more and learned more again, talking to Steve multiple times a week and reading his, you know, listening to him, watching his threads, seeing what he picks up. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. I never thought about this before. Let me add this to my mental bank. And now with me having, you know, the pod, but also I'm a writer at heart. Once I have that in my mental break, now it's, okay, how can I digest this and make sure it's digestible to others? Because it ultimately, if I can't convey what I'm seeing to other people, like, no one's going to follow me. Like, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like, I can throw out all these fancy play names. What really matters is the action that's on screen. Yes. And being able to identify that. If you see your favorite team run something, now when the Hawks run, it's like, hey, wait, I've seen this before. The Thunder run it, hey, I've seen this before. Or if defenses, you know, try to stop that particular action a different way, it's like, oh, wait, I know why that worked. I know why they were able to stop that because this is what they're trying to get to because I saw this here. And so it's really just been a bunch of layering from what I already knew, what I'm learning, and then just trying to figure out ways to convey that to others. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because now I want to pick your brain on something that's actually happening. In, in the league, as we get ready for the season, I can't believe the season's starting next week. It's kind of... Yeah. It's kind of nuts. Um, but uh, the offseason saw a few teams, and especially free agency and in the landscape of trades. I think the thing that has stood out to me over the last few years is obviously the transaction part of this always dominates the news cycle and, and things along those lines. Mm-hmm. I do feel, however, that with the way that the CBA is going to implement itself over the next year, we saw a couple of teams, specifically Boston and Phoenix, go all in on trades and kind of assuring themselves that we're going to have this particular team before the luxury tax and the the inability to make trades or aggregate salaries after mm-hmm. this season come into play. What have you made of not only specifically Boston and Phoenix, but how the league has kind of reacted to this new part of the CBA because it's because it does feel a lot like the NFL to a degree where you have these kind of limited two to three year windows where you got to build your team a specific way and then you immediately can get off of contracts or you'll see more trades and things along those lines sometimes you even get some non-guarantees I think of the Chris Paul contract Mm -hmm. and stuff like that what have you made of the way that the league has changed specifically in this offseason? I think for me, it's kind of laid bare who's actually going for it versus who's kind of been providing lip service on that front. And I think you know, we can be respectfully messy for a bit. Like it's really put Miami under the spotlight within this context. Um, you think about like Bradley Beal at the top of the summer. It feels like they've been linked to Bradley Beal for like two, three years now. And we were all just kind of like, whenever Washington presses the button that we all think they should press, like that's just going to be the natural trade partner. And so naturally, you get the request, they were linked, and then it was quiet, and then it was Phoenix. It's like, okay, that's interesting. We get the Damian Lillard stuff. And it's, from what I've seen, Miami wants Dame, but under their terms, which makes sense. But also, if you have an agent that's trying to dictate the market too, like at a certain point, 
just push your chips in or make the call. Or if they're not calling, you still make the call. Do everything you can there. And it's kind of turned into, okay, well, we're still kind of good with where we are. We don't have to do all that. And you compare that to Boston pushing chips in immediately when Drew became available. And you look at Phoenix making the KD deal and then following that up with the Bradley Beal deal. And it's like, well, okay, they are trying to make these moves and get these bigger salaries in before they quite literally cannot do that. And even going a little bit deeper with Phoenix's offseason, all the pick swap trades and getting all of these second round picks to make sure that they can kind of replenish things at the bottom of the bench and stuff. You can tell this is very much, we are spending. We are trying to win right now where Miami it's more, we want to win under our terms. If we have a move that makes sense for us, we'll do that. If it deviates from whatever our set limit is, we're good. We'll do it within house. And I don't think that's inherently bad, but again, it kind of lays bare the difference between, we are pushing all of these chips to the table versus being more selective about it. Well, I think it's I think the Miami point of it is interesting because of Jimmy Butler, and I would say, honestly, his age. He's he's thirty four years old, and we've seen even in the playoff run last year, at points whether it be injury or slowing down or however it may be, there are these points where he's going to need that type of help. So it is a little bit surprising that they wouldn't go necessarily all into that degree. What do you think what do you think about what Miami should or could potentially do? I know a lot has been discussed about Tyler Hero. I feel like I've heard Tyler Hero's name like 5 million times, but mm-hmm. but I, I mean he's a good he's a good player and I think the thing that I mean, Portland obviously didn't look at him as somebody viable because of who they already had on their roster. But, you know, also at the same time, everything that you hear about Tyler Hero is that really good offensive player, the defense is an issue. The defense is an issue. Do you see Tyler Hero being on the heat long term? Or is this because we've always heard his name in trade rumors? Is this, is, I mean, I guess, you know what? For lack of a better term, let's let me just hit the point. What do you think think of Tyler Hero as a player, as a long-term franchise player for the Miami Heat? I think he's a good player. I worry that, like, I don't see the superstar potential for him. But that also brings it back to, like, the, the weird Miami middle ground, where it's like, okay, we'll make the move, but on our terms. Because from Miami's perspective, it's, yes, Jimmy Butler needs some more help. He didn't have Tyler Hero in this entire, basically one half of basketball and Hero played well and then got hurt and just didn't have Hero anymore. And they still made the finals and were still able to get a game off of the eventual champions. And so for them, it's like, okay, do we need another superstar next to Jimmy Butler or do we just need more of an offensive punch? And if it's the latter, in theory, Tyler Hero can do that. And so I understand it from their perspective. Again, when a Bradley Bill is available, you don't have to give up much or when a Damian Lillard is available, like I think you just do that because you're looking at a top 30 player in Bill and a top 12 player in Damian Lillard. Like, I think you just hop on that when you can. But I can understand where Miami's like, Tyler Hill just averaged 20 not too long ago. And we all kind of recognize he's not like a pure number one option. If we add more talent elsewhere without pushing everything into the tech, we can get him off ball more, which should lead to a more efficient version of him, which leads to a better version of him. And that takes pressure off of Jimmy Butler that takes pressure off of Bam out of bio if he's now screening for a guard that you have to worry about as a pull-up shooter as, you know, compared to him running pick and roll with Gabe Vincent, 
who hit many big shots in the postseason run, but he's not going to bend defenses in the way that a Tyler Hero might. And Tyler Hero isn't in the superstar class. And so I think he's he's both the piece that I think Miami will use if they see another star and actually push the, the button on, but also he's someone that can grow alongside this group. Like he's comfortable playing off of Jimmy. He's comfortable taking some of the offensive reins when Jimmy's not on the floor. He has chemistry with Bam. And, you know, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, Jimmy Butler's 34. Whenever Jimmy Butler moves on or when it really becomes the Bam era in Miami, him and Tyler are on the same timeline. And so, like, in theory, that is a duo that can grow together. I don't, again, I don't see superstar potential for Tyler Hero. He could be fringe all-star or make a couple of all-star teams and be really good alongside Bam. And then you hope to add that third piece still. What do you make of Bam Adebayo wanting to shoot more threes? Because I feel like this is not the first time we've heard this. Now, the, it, it, the three shooting, it, you know, saying that you want to do it, but having it in practice is something else. Let's say he decides to really do that this season. Mm-hmm. Do you think that is something that's advantageous to, to him? Or or do you feel like it's not... Because it, I, I always feel like with big men, um, it you don't necessarily... Not everybody can be Brooke Lopez and just be able to take their range out there what do you think of the potential of bam doing that i I know you you're always watching bam and 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 his game his aggressiveness or lack thereof at times so what what do you think of that i think i feel like i'm kind of shifting on that honestly because very early on it's like man i know he can knock down these shots it'll be cool if he just adds that to his game and he takes four or five a game but at this point like i'm never going to be opposed to it but i'm more worried about like you said, the aggression. Is he just going to consistently look for his shot, period? And once he clears that bar, and I think he got closer to clearing that bar last season, once he clears that, then I'm all for him expanding however he wants to expand. Like, for me, it's more so how refined can this mid-range jumper be? And we saw the growth. We've seen the growth over the last couple of years as that become more as that has become more of a go-to for him. Um, but you think about the way he's used. If he does have the year where he's just taking three and a half, four threes a game, yeah, that's going to be a big boost for Miami's offense if he hits enough of them. They already use him as a hub a ton. They use him above the break, the floor, and the handoffs and stuff. If teams are going to sag off of him and now you've got to worry about him taking above the break threes on top of the handoff stuff, mm-hmm. I he's going to be incredibly difficult to deal <laughs> to deal with. Mm-hmm. So I'm never going to be opposed, but I am more so focused now on nail the inside the arc stuff first. Yeah, the, the player that I'm looking for is the one that we saw in the conference finals in the bubble, where the end of that series turned into Bam caving in Boston's defense, almost like a Giannis light, where mm-hmm. he would take, he would grab and go the length of the floor. It was pretty majestic to watch. It was pretty kind of jarring to watch because we hadn't seen that from him. And I feel like he's ha- he hasn't really been able to get back to that, to that degree where it is continuous, continuous, consistent. And during the playoffs last year, we were able to see some of that too. So I'm I'm excited to see because there's nothing like the Miami Heat who feel like everybody's left them for dead. Mm-hmm. They usually react in a, in a way that I mean they're zombies. They just keep coming back. So <laughs> I'm very excited to see how they play this season. Now the two teams in the East that everybody is looking at is the Boston Celtics and the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, I'll start with the Bucks first, because obviously you get Dame Lillard 
kind of changes the math on everything. The Dame Giannis, I mean, Dame already talked about it after the preseason game against the Lakers, where both of them talked about like I've never been this open in in mm-hmm. my life. What do you think of that pairing, and how do you feel like that changes this Bucks offense from which I mean, you guys have talked about it millions of times the the lack of seasoning that the Bucks <laughs> offense has had in the past. Oh man, it gives them it gives them like a top five automatic in the league. When all else fails, if they don't add a speck of seasoning to their half court attack, they can just say, you know what? Dame 35 feet from the basket, Giannis screen for him, y'all deal with that. Or we can shift it over a little bit. We're gonna empty aside. Giannis screen for Dame. Have fun. Good luck. And I think having that kind of fail safe in their offense is going to be incredibly fun for me to watch. But I also think it's just going to be incredibly effective. Like Milwaukee was, you know, in terms of their offensive rating, they were one of the worst offenses in the league last year. A lot of that was just injuries. But even when they got healthier, they still weren't world beaters on offense. And even during the title year, they weren't a world beater on offense, particularly in the half court. And so having someone like Dame just changes the dynamics of everything that you do as a defense. Like, this is the first time that they've had, that a team has had to deal with Giannis, which is tough enough, and also a player that you have to commit two bodies to. Period. Absolutely. Playing pick and roll, big has, the big has to be at the level, or you have to blitz Dame and get the ball out of his hands. With Chris Middleton, you can't just let him walk in the jumpers because he's really good at those. But it was one of those, okay, he's hit two or three, now let's bring some pressure. Dame, if he's on the court, you got to worry about where we're picking him up. And then also just thinking about that, it's the first time that not only that Giannis has had a teammate that draws that kind of attention, it's the first time he's had a guard that draws that kind of attention. And that changes who you can even put on Dame, who you can put on Giannis. You can't switch that pick and roll. Like there may be two teams in the league that has the personnel to really switch that and feel okay with what kind of help they can send beyond that. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. Again, you're just kind of guaranteeing two to the ball in some sense. And you're going to see more of Giannis on the short roll, and he's devastating in that regard. And I think that just it just takes so much pressure off of both of them. Yeah, and also I think it takes all, it takes pressure off of Middleton. Middleton really was the second guy um, being tasked to do a lot of the secondary scoring if Giannis doesn't really have the ball like that. And obviously Drew played his role to a degree where he would step in and and uh, contribute his offense and whatnot. But I think this really, you know, assuming that Chris can stay healthy, which has been a thing over the last couple of seasons, even coming into this training camp, we've, I mean, the back and forths between Eric Name and, and Adrian Griffin at the start of the, the training camp were, have been interesting, to say the least, about um, Chris's health. But I would like to see him healthy because in this spot now, I feel like he has so much he has so much more room to work with and he can really kind of settle in. And as long as he stays healthy, he can really provide that, that real like third score. And just, it's not the same level of pressure. I feel to, uh, to uh, deliver in the sense that, you know, teams were loading up on him. Teams would be guarding him uh, specifically in a way to try and stop him. And I just think it's a lot harder to do that now. What do you think about Middleton? you know, potentially getting back to where he was a couple of years ago. I think that would be huge for Milwaukee. Like I'm tracking the health for very obvious reasons. You want to see him on the court, but my eyes now just kind of go to the defensive end for him, which as he was finally able to work his his way back into reasonable health towards the end of the year, last year, 
the defense never quite got there. And even in that postseason, you know, the first round series against Miami, Jimmy Butler kind of ate his lunch whenever he got that matchup. Like a lot of the the hoopla about that first round series was Jimmy versus Drew because that was just your Titan Drew Holiday, one of the best defenders in the league, and Jimmy Butler just didn't care. And Jimmy yelling, "You can't guard me," which is just great theater. But <laughs> Milton is the actual like wing in that lineup, and he tried, and he just didn't have a chance. And I think you know projecting forward for this Milwaukee group, he can't be in that zone. Yeah, I think it's it's fair to just bank in. He's going to get better shot quality on offense by virtue of playing off of Giannis and playing off of Dame at the same time. He's going to get easier matchups. He's going to get weaker defenders because he's got to um, send so much defensive attention to Dame and uh, Giannis. That should be banked in. And he's such a contested shot maker anyway, even if you did put a tough defender on him. Like, that's just his shot die, period. He's got to be able to hold up defensively. And I think if he's able to maintain health, he has a little bit of a lighter load offensively. He should have more energy to exert on the defensive end. He should be better. I don't know if we ever see the 2018, 2019 version of Chris Milton defensively ever again. I don't think that's a fair expectation, but he's got to be closer to neutral or slight positive when he just, you know, frankly just was not that last year. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think the thing, when you look at the bucks after this trade is kind of the lack of uh, guard defenders and wing defenders. That's, I mean, what do you expect from, veteran Jay Crowder at this point who's basically a defensive four at, at this point and I mean I guess we'll see some Bochamp and just trying to piece that together obviously you have the back line with Giannis and Brooke which is very stout very good but now you bring Dame into this and Dame will be they will look to attack him Mm-hmm. That the defensive aspect, which often gets overlooked in trades like this, is going to be something fascinating to watch because just just forecasting a potential conference finals matchup with Boston. Mm. And if Boston's on running on all cylinders and they're going Porzingis at the five with Drew Tatum, Brown and Derek White. That's pretty tough, man. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's tough for the I mean, that's tough against anybody. But I would say how the Bucks are built at this point, that, at least from a defensive side, is just going to be a, a difficult task. So what do you make of their defense, not only philosophically speaking, but what you potentially would like to see them do to kind of counteract some of the matchup issues they may potentially have? Yeah, like I think you already alluded to like Bochamp, it's, you know, I talked to Steve about this. Like, I feel like my eyes are just going to be on those young wings to see who can actually step into this role. Because I think Pat Connaughton, when he's healthy, like he had some slippage last year too. But just in a vacuum, like Pat Connaughton's a fine defender, but he's 6'5". And we've seen in Boston series, Boston has had no problem saying, all right, let's just put this guy in action. Let's get him switched on to Jason Tatum. Let's see how he does. And it doesn't go well. Uh, we saw that with Grayson Allen. Obviously, he's not on the roster anymore, but similar thing. He competes. He's generally in the right spot. At the end of the day, you're six three or six four. Let's let's get your guy to scream. Let's get you on Jason Tatum. Let's see how you do. It's not going to go well. And I think between Marjan Bochamp and my guy Andre Jackson Jr., if either one of those two prove to be reliable offensively, like in theory, they give you the size, the archetype of the type of defender that you need to put on the Jays. I don't think they will. Again, they're not going to win many of those battles. The Jays are really freaking good, but you at least want bodies that won't be overpowered by those two. 
to where you don't have to send a whole bunch of extra attention. Like in a best case scenario, you trust Bochamp enough to stay in front and just funnel, you know, funnel Jason Tatum or funnel Jalen Brown into Giannis and Brooke. Like I do think in something that Steve mentioned, we may just see Giannis taking on more of those tougher on ball assignments and we'll see how he fares there. But in an ideal world, he doesn't have to do that either. You get some kind of bump from the young wings, or you mentioned Jay Crowder, if he's able to turn back the clock, even if it's just for the postseason, if he can take on those tougher assignments so Giannis doesn't have to, you just want to get to that zone, to where you can funnel those guys inside, you have fun finishing over Giannis and Brooke, Milwaukee's able to get out and transition, flow into early offense, and now you're dead. And so I think that's the level that they want to get to. Um, They don't have many assets left to make a trade to get another yes. wing in the room. So yes. that, that does get right now. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> again, that's where I kind of lean again to just the internal growth. How much rope do you give Bochamp? How much rope do you give Andre Jackson Jr. Who for a hop dog was watching the preseason game. He's hitting sidestep threes, which if you watched him at UConn, the one thing that was missing for Andre was the jumper or the biggest thing missing for him was the jumper. I don't think he's going to walk into the league as a 40% shooter as much as I would love to see that. But if he's comfortable, confidently taking shots from the perimeter, I think that gives you more of a pathway for him to get early playing time. And if he's able to capitalize on that, like he's, I think he's just going to be a good NBA defender. I'm uh, I'm fascinated. Yeah. I'm fascinated to see how Adrian Griffin kind of handles this first year coach. Hey, you got Dame go win a championship. (laughs) Yeah. This is, that's a lot to sort of do you, you know, for all those, the slander that bud guy, and again, you alluded to it. Like we talked about the half court offense in particular, Bud's a really good coach. Like, I think it got – the playoffs are what matters. So, so when you do fall of short course. in the playoffs, like, the spotlight is just brighter, especially when you have a guy like Giannis where you have in the back of your mind, holy crap, what if he doesn't sign an extension? What if he leaves? What do we do if Giannis does? So, like, that adds extra pressure. But the Bucks have just been really freaking good since Bud's been there. So <laughs> it is going to be interesting to track how many different things Adrian Griffin wants to do. Like, what tweaks does he want to have in? I think Steve was threatening the Bucks game not too long ago and noted, like, hey, the Bucks are working on zone. I was like, wait a minute. You know, now that I think about it, how often did Milwaukee go zone last year? They didn't really do that. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to see just how he puts his imprint on this team, too. Something that I'm a nut about is substitution patterns. Mm-hmm. The, like, rotation patterns. Like, I know that Bud comes from the school of Popovich where – Popovich will kind of do, like, when he had Ginobili and Duncan and those guys, like, he would do the, I'll take Tim Duncan out six minutes into the to the quarter. And it's kind of something similar to what uh, Bud was doing with Giannis. He'll yes, take him yeah. out, like, like uh, six to seven minutes into the first quarter and kind of do rotations like that. And there's been times in the playoffs, like, I'll think specifically back to the series against Brooklyn where they had to win that game seven with Durant's uh, the foot on the line. Mm-hmm. And I remember there were points in that series where Giannis was just really like laboring just physically. Cause obviously he's, you know, tasked with doing so much. It's little stuff like that. I'm curious to see like how he manages this new, this new duo and everything going on. How does he put those things together? The tinkering stuff. So I just wanted to throw that in there. As, I, as, I, as I'm intrigued to see where that goes. but No, I think that's fair. And I think as you are trying to, you know, build that chemistry between Dame and Giannis, which it should be a relatively seamless basketball fit, but again, these are two guys that haven't really played together before. So, like, building that chemistry out, also bringing Chris Middleton along, especially since he hasn't had, like, a healthy training camp and stuff like that, 
I do think the staggering is going to be important. Like one of the questions that I have, just to bounce off of your point, like, okay, who gets the second unit? Is this going to be, are we resting Dame and Giannis together and Chris Middleton gets the second unit? Is it going to be all these three together and then, okay, let's rest Giannis. We'll let Dame and Chris cook. And then when Dane goes to the bench, it's Giannis and Chris, since they already had that natural chemistry. Like, how are they going to build out the staggering? I think that I think that's going to be interesting to see where he goes with that. Mm. Ah, yes, I I, I just love substitutions. That's <laughs> just my favorite thing. Oh my gosh, I love getting nerdy with with hoops, man. Um, okay, let's talk about Boston because I think the thing that stands out to me about them when they made the trade for Drew. It's like, okay, just please start Drew and Derek White together in the backcourt. It's a dominant defensive backcourt. And you already have Tatum, you already have Brown. And then the Porzingis aspect, you can move Horford. I think Horford should be on a pitch count this season anyway. Kind of save his legs, reduce his minutes. I think the worry that you have with this team is Porzingis' health. And to a lesser degree, maybe to a higher degree if we see it, um, how he responds to his role. Um, that has been a thing that it seems like it plagued him a little bit in Dallas. And I think he got a taste of being uh, a very a high usage player last year um, because Bradley Beal was injured often and he was able to really have a very productive season. Now he comes into this team where, you know, the two J's are going to eat. And now you got, you also have Drew there too. Drew's Drew obviously is a, a, a lower maintenance player offensively, but Chris Stapps is going to have too. to find. Yeah, he's going to he's going to have to he's going to have to find his spots. What do you think about that offense? Because that offense has been, I couldn't tell you when I was enough when I was watching that conference finals, especially the game seven, where those guys were passing up layups for threes and. <laughs> It just bugged me to no end. It was almost like they were they were so predetermined as opposed to the instinct of when you're getting to the rim to finish that I really feel like it threw them off. Now, granted, a lot of credit goes to the Heat for the way that they, they kept fighting in that series and were able to close it out. But I feel like this has kind of been the summation of what Boston's offense has been over the last couple of seasons, as good as they are, mm-hmm. how their offense tends to kind of just sputter out because of the, I what I personally feel is the over reliance on the three pointer. What what do you feel uh, as going into this season with this new starting five, this new roster, this little bit of turnover, and how do you feel about them going into it now? I think the continuity is going to be the inter- interesting portion of this, and I think if we're taking anything from preseason, as you mentioned, like Kristaps trying to pick his spots. It feels like Boston has been pretty intentional about working him into the offense early and just kind of using that, if we're going to use a football term, like using that opening script, like, okay, here's Kristaps at the elbow. Here's a pick and pop for Kristaps. Here's a pick and roll for Kristaps because they know at the end of the day, Jason can get his, Jalen can get his. And so now you add Drew into the mix. I think his first preseason game, he came off the bench. Um, And so it just feels like they are already trying to work out the kinks with the new guys and figure out where the, how they're able to flow from there. I don't think it's I don't think it should take that long for them to kind of implement those pieces in. It helps that Kristaps can shoot as well as he does. So even if it's not mm-hmm. optimal, use him everywhere. Him being 7-3 and being able to shoot is just going to open up 
things for this Boston offense. And I think having someone like him that not only can shoot well, but will shoot often and will shoot from super deep, that should open up more of those driving lanes. You may get more of the paint touches. You may have more opportunity to get into those driving kick sequences. And you have like a cleaner offensive process from there. I do think it's worth kind of noting, you know, to your point about Boston's offense kind of sputtering. They have good passers. They have good playmakers. They still don't have like a natural table setter. Yeah. And so I do wonder, like, how much growth do we see from Jason Tatum in that regard? Uh, Buck fans will tell you, and I will tell you as a non-Buck fan, just watching some of the Drew decision-making in the postseason when he's <laughs> manning things in the half court, like, that can get a little bit erratic. And mm-hmm. so, like, that – the potential for Boston's half-court offense to go haywire isn't something that should be completely dismissed. But I do think they have enough to where they can blend in a lot. Yeah. And – you know, Steve and I were talking about this earlier in a point that I made on like our preview pod not too long ago. It's like Drew in this new setting, Marcus Smart, I think over the past three years, has set like three times as many on-ball screens <laughs> as Drew has. And I'm just like, you know, I just want to see like what Drew the screener actually looks like in a mm-hmm. high volume system. Not that he's bad at it or anything. Like it's a very general, we just haven't really seen this. How quickly will he acclimate to that or how willing will he be to do that? Because in theory, like, Boston has so many avenues to access the paint. They have so many avenues to access, like, the middle of the floor now, with Kristaps in particular. And obviously, they can get threes up whenever they want to. Jason Tatum takes a whole bunch of self-created threes. Jalen Brown does as well. Even Kristaps will come off screens. He can take one or two dribbles and then get to a three when necessary. Again, there's going to be a whole shot selection aspect of this. When do you take those, to your point? But they can get those threes up whenever they need to. And so if they if they hit this right... They could. They should be the best team in the East. Uh, I mean, shoot. I I think there's a potential for them to just be the best team in the NBA. I, yeah. I, from a from just, I would say the top six guys. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like they have the top. There, I would take their top six over anybody else's top six currently. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's just the the diversity of where you what you could get, especially if you get the self actualized version of Chris Stapps, Um obviously the protection at the rim and the offensive end being able to spread it, spread people out just that aspect seeing Tatum improve. I mean, it's funny enough to think that, Oh, Jason Tatum, can he improve anymore? I mean, I mean, we've seen a lot from him already. And then mm-hmm. also Jalen Brown, I feel like has another level to get to as an offensive player. So they, they're really good, man. They really are. They really are. I watched that. I watched that preseason game they played against Philly, and uh, just kind of seeing those dudes out there together, it was just like, oh my gosh, this is going to be so difficult to deal with on a regular basis. Once, especially once they get it going. But even then, as far as just matching up with them, there's just so many different ways that they can attack you and also guard, which I think is the other part of it. It's just going to be a very difficult place. There's not very many weaknesses on that main, uh, that mainstay starting five. So I'm very fascinated to see how teams try and um, go after them on on defense because there's not really a place to necessarily attack. So uh, I'll be I'll be intrigued. I'll definitely intrigued. They're they're an awesome team, but I'd be remiss to 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 have you on this show and not ask about the Knicks. Because obviously, big Knicks fan fan over here. And I think the thing that I've always 
thought about it, especially the last couple of years. I'm not the biggest tips guy. I'm just, I'm just not. I know that he's done. He's done what he's done. He's he's <laughs> he's gotten the team to the playoffs. Not only to the playoffs, he got them to the second round. He 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 out coached Mr. Bickerstaff in the in the first round last year. Pants mm-hmm. them to be to be quite honest. Yeah. And I give him credit for that. I do think that this team, and you saw it in the Miami series, there is just um as good as they are, and I feel like they I feel like they definitely overachieved. There's a there's a limitation, there's a ceiling on what their offense can get to. And I just wonder if this is just something that we're going to be waiting for a transaction at some point, maybe not necessarily this season, but maybe in the off season as they wait for a uh, name player X here, player Y here to kind Mm -hmm. of influx that influx of talent to really transform their team. I like what they've done. I like the fact that they've, they haven't been um, impatient in the sense to just make the first trade um, to try and get a superstar in here uh, to really t- just try and uh, fast forward that timeline. Because now, once you do something like that, you're locked into it. So as the team stands now, what are you looking for internally from them uh, improvement-wise? Because to me, obviously, it, it really starts with R.J. Barrett. Yeah. Can he get to another level? But I, I would like to know what you see from that perspective. Um, my eyes are very much just on the guard room in New York. I think as they've been patient, to your point, like they didn't just throw out all the assets for Donovan Mitchell, though that seemed like it got a little close. Um, <clears throat> if they're not going to make that big move yet or, you know, respectfully messy, if they're just waiting on the Joel Embiid thing to blow up in Philadelphia, um, mm-hmm. until then it is, like you said, what kind of growth do we see from RJ Barrett? Is he able to build off of the summer that he had with Team Canada? Do we see – an improvement with his decision-making? Does he make quicker decisions? Does he get downhill and finish better? Does he finally develop something in the intermediate area, whether it's a floater or just a natural pull-up to kind of diversify his shot profile? Does he get either one of those things? Um, and then behind him, with the way that Quentin Grimes kind of popped offensively, with the shooting, not just the shooting, but the movement shooting, is there more for him as not only that, but a closeout attacker? Does he have more on-ball juice than we're letting on? How fun was Emmanuel quickly last year? Does he have like a a Tyrese Maxi like leap in him to grow offensively? And does that force some rotation decisions? Does that force some, hey man, if Emmanuel quickly can do this, do we really need RJ? Like, does he, is he able to force those kind of questions for New York? I think absent, absent of the big move, like that's kind of where my eyes go with this next group. Yeah, I'm, in, I'm intrigued because. I think the the talk has always been that, hey, Julius Randle is a ball stopper and it's just like the offense can only go so far with him as your best offensive player. But obviously Jalen Brunson came in last season and kind of changed things. And we saw how awesome he was in the playoffs and, and what kind of regular season that he had as well. Mm-hmm. So you add that into it. I feel like, I feel like I, I'm just, I want to just see Julius... Not with the, I just guess the rec the recognition. I I'll think of a, a certain game. They played at Boston last season, 
in a game that went into overtime that they won. Not the not the Emmanuel quickly went crazy on a Sunday night game, but it was the other game earlier in the season that they went into overtime, but they won that game too. But even with that, it is the Julius Randle gets the ball at the end of the game with about 20 seconds left and you know, he'll just hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. And then when he makes the move, it's already predetermined that they're going to send the double towards you. So one would think that you would move the ball. But in those instances, there's a lot of time where he doesn't move the ball. And obviously you don't get a great shot. I do also think that at times, whether sometimes his, his struggles on offense also lead to his very waxing and waning effort on the defensive end of the floor which kind of i I feel like i even sent you guys a question about that mm. just like simple just like simple rotations and stuff that he would plain miss and i guess really what i'm getting at here is wh- wh- how far does this go with randall i i just don't know it's like i don't want to be like so i don't want to be too hard on him because i mean he's had an all nba uh all nba season in the last couple of years and He's really actually helped the team be good. So I can't complain that much, but there's just so much uh, 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 where I kind of <laughs> just like a little frustrated. But I, where, where, do you, where do you stand on Julius Randle these days? He's such uh, – I'm in a tough place with Julius because like there are, I think for anyone, especially with Nick fans, there has to be the realization that Julius Randle is kind of overtasked. Like, I think in an ideal world, or ideal slash best case version, like, Jalen Brunson is your number two, Julius Randle is your number three, and you have Superstar X to kind of set the table for everyone. But everyone's up a peg. And so I think it becomes even more frustrating that, man, Julius has the ball a lot. It's like, well, yeah, he has the ball a lot. Like, you kind of need that if you want to score. And, like, this was, you know, as frustrating as it is for Julius to pound it the way he does, like, I zoom out, like, hey, the Knicks were a top five offense last year. And I don't yeah. think that gets enough. <laughs> I, I know. It's they, crazy to think I about, I don't right? know if they get enough pump for that. <laughs> this is like, this is a top five offense. Now, granted, you dig deeper into the numbers. You see second in offensive rebound rate. And I think they had, like, the fifth lowest turnover rate. But there's a reason why the turnover rate was so low. To your point, they don't move it all the time. But they don't move it to the other team either. So, like, that kind of helps with, with what they were able to build in the regular season anyway. But, yeah, I'm just in a weird place with Julius because he's asked to do more than I think he would be for, like, a true title contender. But to your point, it is frustrating to see him have the ball as much and, you know, doesn't diagnose the turnovers as well. Or here's another contested pull-up. Or, hey, man, if we got Tibbs here, you know he wants you to play defense. Why didn't you make that rotation? Well, what is this? It's a switch. It's one effort. And then if you got to do something else, you're just done. Like, that can't happen. It's – it's not quite the rust zone as like Steve talks about with like loud misses or loud mistakes with Julius, but he's like the yeah. tier under that to where when he messes up on defense or if he takes a bad shot, it just feels so, it just feels so heavy. Yeah. I think it's, it's kind of unfair for everyone. Cause like ultimately he shouldn't be in that spot to make as many decisions as he does. But since he does, you kind of want better decision making from him. You want more consistent effort defensively. And I think if you do get the growth from RJ you get another step from Quentin. You get another step from Emmanuel. You have more ball handlers, and you have people that can unlock him in a way that he hasn't been able to be unlocked. 
it should take some of that burden off him offensively, and you should get more of a consistent effort defensively. Because when he's locked in, how many better like? Yeah, we've seen. Well, I don't, don't want to gas it. Like he is a solid switch defender when he's locked in. Mm-hmm. Like we've seen those positives over extended stretches for him. We've also seen when the effort waxes and wanes. Like some of that's frustration, but I think a lot of it is just he has to do so much for a team that they're not. We just talked about the Celtics and how many threes they get up. That's never been New York. And under Tibbs, I don't think that ever will be New York. And so, like, there's the phone booth element. There's the fact that he's a number one when he probably should be a number two or number three. Right. There's so many things working against him in addition to his own limitations. That it just leads to everyone kind of feeling worse about Durant's experience. Yeah, I, I and I appreciate that context that you laid out because I think when you look at that, I feel like Julius should be more of a play finisher than – uh, yeah. everything guy like there, there are everything guys in the league for a reason and you're right in a lot of ways he is miscast and I think if RJ does kind of step up and he's allowed to grow into that role and be able to have that on ball creation be at that level where at least I've seen in the preseason so far that he's getting to the line and he's making his free throws which is a big part of a big part of of growth for RJ so if he's able to do that, then maybe it does take the pressure off of Julius and maybe it just allows for a, a much more alleviated offense that doesn't feel like, to your point, the phone booth. Because, I mean, that's the thing. When you're always playing, when you're always playing the two bigs, it's mm-hmm. just going to be that way. And yeah. there's not much that you can do about it. So that part is something that, Knicks fans generally always kind of have to contend with in the Tibbs era. So I guess this will be another season of that. Um, I think they're going to be good, but you know, we'll see what that we'll see what that limitation and what that ceiling is. I'm fascinated Mm -hmm. to see how that goes, but I wanted to hit quickly on the, on the West before we kind of move into some final thoughts, but I find the, when Denver won the championship, it's like you saw the you saw how great, obviously Jokic and I'm so glad that he had the performances that he had in last season's playoffs just to shut everybody up because yes, oh so much noise, so much noise, so Ooh. much noise. Good lord! So it was so it was so nice to see him just really leave no doubt who the man in the league currently is and obviously seeing Jamal um, be able to come back and have the type of performance that he had in the playoffs too. They had so many different contributors and this obviously changes a little bit with, with uh, Bruce Brown being gone, but how do you look at this team now? They're going to be relying on some younger guys. Christian Braun will probably have a bigger role in the, in the team this season. How do you feel about Denver defending their title, and what does this team look like now? It's a little different, but more seasoned team, obviously, winning a championship, but a different team. Mm-hmm. I, I'm so excited to watch this Denver group. One, they're just incredibly fun. Jokic is a blast. We know what their starting lineup is going to be. Their starting lineup is just going to be one of, if not the best starting lineup in basketball, but they're, they're just going to blitz teams when they're on the court together. But, like, this also, like, this is something that I've talked about on my timeline, something I've talked with Steve about, we've gone back and forth with. The idea for me where it's, like, if you have a ready-made contender and you know your team is good, you should be using the regular season to figure out what your young guys can do, and then you can always scale back towards the end. And I feel like because of how the offseason went for Denver, 
we're going to get like a genuine case study of, all right, starters are solidified. We good. What is this? Peyton Watson, what can you do? Julian Strother, what can you do? Christian Brown, you proved yourself in the postseason. We need more from you now. What can you do? Zeke Naji, can you finally put it together? We've seen the mm-hmm. flashes of shooting. We've seen the flashes of switching at the five. We haven't seen much of the rebounding. Can you put it together? And so I think this feels like the first time in a while, I guess going back to like the Spurs days, um, to where we are legitimately going to see contender, starters are secure. We don't know what this bench is. They're all young. They're interesting. They're just going to get a whole lot of rope. And so I'm really excited to see who pops from this group. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. they, And obviously you have you have Jokic there to kind of make everybody better. And – and Jamal coming off this season, I really feel like I feel like now he has his legs under him and now he can really get into it. I, I, and I'm intrigued to see how uh, Michael Malone kind of handles handles both of those guys coming off of the, the, the championship season in the long run and in relying on those some of those younger legs, especially Zeke Naji. I feel like I've heard Zeke Naji's name a lot, too. So it's about <laughs> the time that guy plays, man. <laughs> man, I, I've been waiting on it. Cause he's such he's such a fun theoretical big. You have a big that can legitimately not just shoot from the corners, but can shoot all over the place, and a guy that is comfortable defending on the perimeter. And as we think about what Denver's backup bigs have been over the past few years, like it's been, hey, this whole thing falls apart when Jokic is on the floor. Well, it's on the bench. Can we get something reliable back here? And I think it's a testament to what they were able to cobble together last year, where it just turned into. Jeff Green and Aaron Gordon, a point that Steve has made many a times on the podcast. But it's also a bit of an indictment that it had to be Jeff Green instead of Zeke Naji. Like, in theory, you wanted him to kind of step up last year and kind of claim yeah. those backup five minutes. So you didn't have to go to that as much. So, again, also just going back to last year, like, they traded for Thomas Bryant. That move did not work out. But, like, the fact that, again, they were searching is an indictment that, okay, Zeke didn't grab it. And this feels like last ditch ever. Like, hey, you have the runway you have to produce on both ends of the floor. And if you do, the minutes are going to be there for you. I, I think yep. it's going to be ready to make. And, like, because of the spacing, like, he's someone that could play alongside Jokic in some lineups if they stagger a certain way. Like, there's a lot of room for Zeke in particular if he's able to grab it. Oh, man. Can't wait. I can't wait to see Denver. They're in action against the Lakers to start the season next week. Should be fascinating. Is there a team in the Western Conference – that hasn't got enough pub that we should be really looking out for in terms of making a sleepers type run. I feel like the easiest answer is Memphis because of the jaw thing. And, mm-hmm. and they're used to playing without jaw at this point, but obviously their team is a little bit different. No Tyus Jones anymore. So uh, I'm very curious to see how Desmond Bain steps up, but is there any team is, or is it that one that kind of stands out to you as a team that, could potentially surprise people. I think Memphis is a good one. And I think because it's me, I quite literally cannot say OKC because I think I talk about them enough for everybody. (laughs) So I just can't use them as an example. I think beyond those two, it's probably Minnesota, honestly. Mm -hmm. Because I think just the conversation about around them, I guess non-Anthony Edwards division, the conversation just so low because of what last season was. Cat missed a bunch of time, and then he comes back, and it was not great. Rudy and then that's, I think you know the funny thing is before you continue, I think the towns just generally talking 
has been yeah. a thing that have turned just turned people off generally. Mm-hmm. So that's part of it too. But continue. Yeah. So it just feels like the consensus is lower on Cat, despite him still being really freaking good and also had a really good summer <laughs> in FIBA play. Yeah. But <clears throat> like consensus is down on him. Consensus is certainly down on Rudy Gobert for various oh, reasons. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, we don't have to hang there too long, but like consensus is low right. on him. Right. And I think it's just kind of like, at least from the conversations I've heard is, man, the West is really deep. The whole Pacific division, you got Denver, and you just keep going down the line. If New Orleans is healthy, that's interesting. OKC, they're really good and young. It's going to be interesting. Dallas has Kyrie and Luka. That's going to be interesting. And it's just like, Minnesota was like a top 10 defense, and now they have a full summer with Cat and Rudy to try to figure out some stuff. Also, Anthony Edwards is good. Jaden mm-hmm. McDaniels should have made an all-defensive team. We're not going to hang there, though. But he's also really good. Like, this is a team that should, if they're healthy, they should churn out regular season wins. Like, I don't think we could lose sight of them in the conversation in the West. The Western Conference is, again, uh, again, every year. It's yeah. going to just be a slog just to get to the playoffs. I don't feel like any team should feel safe at all in terms mm-hmm. of what their their standing is. You have... I mean, the Lakers are coming into this season. Obviously, they had the the conference finals run, and I like the moves that they made in the off season to kind of you know kind of formulate the team around LeBron and AD. And a lot of things will depend on how uh, how healthy LeBron is and how healthy Anthony Davis is. But I mean, the fact that they got uh, Austin Reeves. I mean, Austin Reeves is the is is the killer right now. Like he's the guy that everybody <laughs> thinks is um. Is going to be the man this season. So I'm very fascinated to see, like, because there's you, you kind of have to bake into a Lakers season that both of those those uh, top two guys are going to miss some time. Mm-hmm. So Reeves will have to contribute a lot, and we'll see we'll see how he carries over not only his season but his playoffs of last year. That's fascinating. Um, I'm interested in Dallas, man. I sent you guys that question for a reason. Um. I like the young guys that they brought in. I love Grant Williams on that team. Just providing toughness and and that defensive effort and, and all of those things. And obviously when he gets a chance, he, he can be a decent offensive player too. I, I'm intrigued to, I'm intrigued to Dallas. If if you know if Kyrie could be normal for, for five months, then <laughs> hey, you never know. I, I, I Luca, you have Luca on your team. I feel like you're always gonna be uh, you know, in the conversation to have a chance at things. I'm interested to see how Dallas actually, you know what? Tell me a little bit how you feel about what Dallas might might look like and what you want to see from them this season. Oh boy. Uh Luca, another great summer in FIBA play. Uh but yeah, <laughs> Luca is incredible and I think he guarantees you like a top five offense when he's on the floor. That there he's scheme proof. And Kyrie is obviously excellent as an offensive player. And can play off of Luca. I do want to see like what happens when they're used together. Like I dropped the stat on the preview pod with Steve. I think it was like a combined fifty-one on-ball screens between the two for each other, which is just way too low considering you got big wing Luca and small guard Kyrie, and we know what like the LeBron Kyrie partnership was in particular. Kyrie screen for KD, etc. So like we'll have to see how that builds out. But like on one hand, these are two players that should play well together and off of each other. And on the other hand, I look at this Dallas defense and I was like, yo, what is what is this actually going to be? I'm and intrigued. Like, 
Yeah, like, <laughs> I was intrigued by like Derek. I guess that's the flip side to what I was saying earlier. Like with Denver, it's like okay, we know they're a contender, we know they're good. Now we're gonna give our young guys room. Dallas isn't in that zone, and so it was interesting to see. Hey, yeah, we're gonna start Derek Lively. Okay, <laughs> I'm excited about what he can be. Like we talked about it after the draft. Like I really loved what Dallas did during the draft, and I think that Derek Lively is gonna be good. Am I starting him in a year that we kind of need to be top six if I'm Dallas? Like probably not. It's again, a, it's a testament to Dwight Powell and also an indictment on everyone else that Dallas keeps coming back to. We don't function if Dwight Powell isn't in at the bottom. And like the fact that they're still there concerns me a little bit. I think Josh Green is a good defender. I think Josh Green is just good, period. I think yeah. the Grant Williams uh, acquisition should be solid. Is that enough for Dallas to win 45, 46 games in this conference if reasonable health is elsewhere? I don't know. Like, this may be a situation where, like, Dallas feels better this year and then they still win 40 games because the rest right. of the conference is just so much better. Like, that's not going to be their fault, but it just puts them behind the eight ball a bit. So, like, I feel like I'm a little bit lower on Dallas right now, which means that Luka's going to average, like, 32, 12, and 11 in the first eight games. I'm going to look stupid <laughs> immediately as they get off to this 6-2 and two start or something. Uh, but I'm a little bit lower on right now. Like, I really – I have big questions about the defense. They they bear watching over the next year or two, obviously because you got to watch out what happens with uh, Luca's situation there, and this can go in either one or two ways. So the fact that they're going with the youth movement up front and kind of making a few changes to this team to kind of find a little bit more of a defensive identity than what they had towards the end of last season, because the end of last season was so rough, man. So. I, I, I'm very curious to see how they come out and play and can Luca and Kyrie find that find that chemistry even though I felt like I felt like it wasn't it wasn't them specifically that caused what happened at the end of last season I just feel like when you lose that much defense when you trade that much defense away that they had they had a they had a pretty they had a structure to how they had gotten to the conference finals the previous year and when you rip that away and kind of change everything, it's kind of difficult to do something like that on the fly and expect things to just work out for you in the last 20 to 25 games of a season. So, yeah. So, so that part, you know, we'll see what happens, but, um, I'll, man, I'm, I'm excited for the season. It's going to be really, really fascinating. Um, before we go. So when I had Steve on the last time, I did prepare some free throws for him. Oh, okay. I have free throws for you. Okay. So let me get right to those bad boys. Which bit is Steve going to fall for first? The stretch the Blazers play well or the stretch the Wizards play well? Ooh, I think it's going to be the stretch the Blazers play well. Because he's already been kind of teasing the, hey, they might not be as bad as you think. He's been kind of flirting that out there. I think it's if the Blazers get out to four and four, I think it's going to be hey, the the prize going to perk a little bit. It's going to come into the pod a little bit lighter, shoulders bouncing. Like I I know where this is going. (laughs) Tyler Hero or Tyrese Maxey? It's Maxey for me. I think the that Maxey can just be a walking paint touch in a way that Hero can't right now. I think that's. That's enough of an edge for me. I think they're in the same tier, but I, I would go Maxi. 
Okay. If you were reduced to watching one team's games exclusively for the season, which team would it be? Ooh. Probably OKC. That sounds on brand. Probably OKC. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably that's probably gonna be them. Okay. Keegan Murray or Wing Jalen Williams? Ooh, I like this one. Um Ooh. <laughs> I knew this would be a good one. I need to I need to steal this one for the pod. Hold on. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna go I'm gonna go wing Jalen Williams. Okay. Okay, yeah, he should, man, he should. It's hard. I saw Keegan Murray in the playoffs do some stuff, and I was like, oh, oh, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, it went from, man, he's not making any shots. What's going on here to, whoa, there he is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I'm excited for both of those guys this season. Um, favorite LeBron lie? <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Favorite LeBron I feel like the the honest answer is just anytime he tries to recite lyrics, I think should just count. Um, beyond that, it nah, it's, it's him talking about Kobe's eighty one. Yeah. Oh, jeez. That that that, uh, that like brother, you oh, just didn't man. even have to say that. <laughs> <laughs> you just, you just didn't have to say that. And I don't even, I don't even want to go, I don't even want to go dark here, but the fact that that man had a Muhammad Ali book and then put out the statement he put out last week, like, come on, bro. Yeah, you can't, he ain't read that book, he ain't read that one, he ain't read, uh, yeah, yeah, Oh man, LeBron, LeBron is a is a heck of a liar, man. Yeah, All right, no, so no first who's page. a better? Pe- <laughs> oh jeez, <laughs> oh, who's a better peer defender, Draymond Green or Jimmy Uso, stopping his brother from succeeding? <laughs> at at this point, it might be Jimmy. That man can't stay. Out, he can't stay out the way. Oh he's so, goodness! So, I I was so mad yesterday. I just like ah. <laughs> uh. like, the Jay and from? Cody thing works. Yeats, we had it, yes. man. Uh. <laughs> it's so nasty. I mean, they're just setting up the brother match at some point, so I get it. But it's also like, yeah. man, stay out the way. Hey, uh, every time, every single time. Oh man, uh, the Hornets or the Magic. Just mm. a thought exercise. Just, uh, it's the, the magic for me. Okay. Okay. Then not a, a lamella ball ain't, ain't doing it all for you right now. <sighs> He's good. It's just, <laughs> it's just, the it's just the, re- it. it's the rest of the, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't tough. have a nice thing to say about the, I, I have nice thing to say about some of the on court talent. But the Hornets as a as a whole, I don't have. Nice oh, they got they got a whole nother problem. Yeah, that yeah. I think, yeah, I agree, one hundred percent. James Harden gets traded this calendar year, yes or no? Uh, yeah, he'd be out. Okay, okay, okay. All right, I'm, this is a Marvel podcast. I might as well ask you: Infinity War or Endgame? Oh boy, I'm afraid I have some bad news. Uh, oh wait, what? <laughs> no, I, I have seen Endgame, but like 
I've also just I've just seen the end game. What? Yeah, wow. that was that was one of those wow. Everyone's watching this. I guess I need to see what's going on here. <laughs> so, <laughs> which then well, leads into the, the bit into all the other movies that I haven't seen. But yeah, it's. Oh, okay, okay. So that thing that you and Steve be doing on the show is like a is like a real thing. No, no, no. I think it's funny how it breaks that way. Now that I think about it. Because, like, I kid him all the time. Like, how have you not seen this show? How have you not watched this season of XYZ? And then he can just flip it with you. Oh, you haven't seen this movie. He's like, well, that's true. That's true. I haven't. That's Yeah, you got me. Like, we're on on the same playing field in that regard. Uh, well, nonetheless, Nikaias, it has been an absolute honor and a pleasure to have you on this show. Uh, I, I appreciate you and Steve, of course, because... I, th- I think you guys, again, I think you guys do such a tremendous job uh, covering the league, covering all of basketball, um, providing us with not only intelligent analysis, but fun stuff along the way. And as you said earlier, you've created a uh, a wonderful community that, you know, you do the watch parties and everything. It's a, it's a really awesome thing to see. And um, I'm, I'm just happy to not only be a fan of you guys from afar, but to be able to talk to you guys on on this basis has been has been a lot of fun. So I, I appreciate you for joining, man. I appreciate you for having me. And again, thank you for your patience. Uh, as you said at the top, this was well overdue, and this was my fault. So I'm glad we were able to get this done. And I appreciate your consistent support, man. Like you, you see the tweets, the emails. Like if I know I send out the mailbag prompt on Twitter, I know <laughs> I am guaranteed to get at least one question from you. I appreciate the support that you've given us, man. Thank you for, again, having me on here. Of course, of course, man. So before you go, you got to let me know not only where we could find your work and stuff like that, but I saw something new came up today. You're doing some stuff on the NBA app. Tell us a little bit about it. Ah, yes. So coming soon on the NBA app, still waiting on like the official release date and stuff like that, but coming soon, we'll put it that way. Um, You will get some content from Steve and I on the NBA app. Uh, the Coach's Corner series that's been going on the NBA app uh, last couple of years. Um, we were asked to host some of those episodes, so we got to talk to, I want to say, 19 of the 30 NBA head coaches, and we just got to talk through film with them. Asked them, hey, what, what did you see here? What was the thinking behind this? We, we pointing out stuff on screen. It was a whole lot of fun, so those should be released soon. Um, beyond that, you can follow me on Twitter at NikaiasNBA. I have written word. Um, written words at WNBA.com. Uh, I've been with them for most of the season. And so I've just had a piece drop earlier today about what the Liberty did in game three, how they flipped the matchups, what that did to the Aces half-court offense, uh, which, you know, had tip Steve for the uh, the half-court offense bit with the Aces. Uh, that came back in game three. Um, <clears throat> but you can find out. Game four might, might be a little bit extra with uh, Ooh, considering Lord. the uh, injury situation there. Yeah, no Chelsea Gray, no Kia Stokes. Uh, Becky Hammond teased it today in practice, but ultimately no Candace Parker in game four either. Oh boy, we're gonna see it. I was joking. Aja a- 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 got Aja got to pull off uh, uh, a magic in uh, seventy nine uh, game game six time. I am telling you, I was joking around with uh, one of my media pals earlier today. I was like, you know, I don't know if I see it for game four, but the Liberty are gonna feel bad if they lose game four with all of these injuries and they lose, you know, lose the title at home. 
they there's a certain type of pressure that comes with when you're playing an undermanned team and you're and you're supposed to win. Mm-hmm. So that'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, we're gonna see. But you know, you'll catch my written words there. Uh, still got some stuff under the works to see where I'll be writing this NBA season. So you know, pray for me, etc. Uh, but then beyond that, naturally, listen to the Dunker Spot podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, you can find us. Plenty of W content right now while the season going on. Uh, we are wrapping up our season preview or our division preview series uh, on the next episode. And then the regular season starts next week, so we're right back into teams that impress, teams that make us think, all that good stuff. We'll be digging deep into the NBA season. Awesome. I and mean, if you're looking for hoops and analysis, this is the dunker spot is as good as it gets out there. And so make sure that you check them out and follow them, listen to them as well. Of course, you can follow me on the Twitter at AnthonyCanton underscore three. Follow the show on all platforms at MC University Pod, Instagram, YouTube. Find us there as well. Of course, we have the Patreon, patreon.com slash Pod, where you could get our bonus content. We still have Fate of the Furious to do. We still got subscriber mailbag on deck. And we still have Good Beef, the show where I talk to our patrons about whatever they want to talk about. So we have a couple of those that are going to be coming up before the end of the month. Excited to do that. Of course, five-star review and rate and review this show. Appreciate everybody for joining. And supporting and all those things for Nikias Duncan. I'm Anthony Canton the third. This has been Marvel Cinematic University, and we will talk to you next time.